Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to finish our study of the history of the nation of Israel. We're really looking at kings. If you, if you remember what happened, let me put this up here. Uh, we're looking at the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. We started back in 1 Samuel. Samuel was first, and then, of course, the first king was Saul, and then David, and now Solomon. And we've looked all the way through. And, and at the end, we'll just kind of bring it together and think about these three different kings of the nation of Israel. And, and of course, what we'll do is now, after, after today, we'll have two weeks, just two different uh, messages while spring break is going on. And then the next week after that, so it'll be three weeks from today, we start the book of Revelation. It's going to be amazing. If you want to, go ahead be reading. You can be reading the book of Revelation. In fact, uh, just look at verse 3 and see what that says about reading the book. And there's some great things there. So we'll see it uh, in, in just a couple of weeks. We'll be getting to that. This morning, it's the end of Solomon. And, and it kind of makes you sad. It's his final days. Problems had developed. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, the richest man who probably ever lived, and he turned away from God. And so the question could be, how did he do it and why did he do it? I mean, what, what happens there? And we look at this passage. We're going to meet a man. His name is Jeroboam. And we're going to see what God's going to do there with this man named Jeroboam and what happens there. He's called an adversary of Solomon. And so we're going to see this. Solomon started so well, obeying God, worshiping God, asking God to give him wisdom, and but he finished poorly, disobeying God and worshiping false gods. It just doesn't even seem possible. We talk about this. If you had said to Solomon, do you think you're going to ever worship false gods? He would say, of course not. And sometimes we say to us, would, would you be, you're doing something right now. Did you ever think you'd do this? And you'd go, well, no, I didn't think I'd ever would. See, we're capable of anything. And, and so we're going to look at it as we go through. We close the study. We're going to just quickly touch on Saul, David, and Solomon. Now, let's think about this for a second because we're, we're going to talk about enemies because we all have had enemies in our times and our lives. Sometimes we make people mad at us and they become enemies. Sometimes we don't do anything and some people become enemies. And uh, when you think about it as a believer, think about this great truth. When we stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, we're going to have enemies. The devil controls the fallen world system. The world system affects us. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. I mean, if you stand for Christ in a fallen world, there are going to be people who are against you just because you believe in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we're going to see God is, is doing something. And there's this man. His name is Jeroboam. He's called an adversary of Solomon. We actually read the verse last week. It's verse 26 of chapter 11, which talks about him being an adversary. And so God raised this man up. It, God raised this man up. And when you look at it, it's twofold, to be an adversary to Solomon, but to take part of the kingdom. And we go, take part of the kingdom? What, what are we talking about? We'll see it as we go through. So let's think about Solomon as we finish it up. He, he had great privilege. In fact, Solomon had greater privileges and advantages than any king before him. He was given riches. I mean, think about it. He was given wisdom and riches and honor, but the last part of his life was considered a failure. He turned away from God and disobeyed God's specific instructions. That's the word of God. He disobeyed the word of God. But there were some specific instructions for kings. Now, think about this. We talked about it last week in Deuteronomy 17. There were four things there a king was not to do and to do. Three of them were not to do, and one of them was to do. In Deuteronomy 17, it said, do not multiply horses. If you multiply horses, what you're saying is, I got to get a big army, because that's what horses were, and so I need my protection by a big army. And he's saying, no, you don't need a big army. You just need to trust God. Not multiply gold or silver. The king wasn't supposed to multiply gold or silver because he didn't need riches. 
He didn't need money because God says, you don't have to trust me. You don't have to need all that. The third thing was not multiply wives. And we say, well, what is that? It says because they made alliances with different nations. And, and Solomon would marry different women and, uh, and, and bring them together so they'd have alliances. And God says, you don't need that. You just trust me. And then the fourth thing was to live by the Bible. And he'd already told Solomon, you just live your life based on the word of God like your father David did. And what we know is this, that Solomon failed in all the areas. He went out and he got horses. And it started slow. He got horses and they got more horses. And he kept going to Egypt and get more horses. And he got more and more horses. He had to build seven cities that contained all the horses and the chariots because he wanted the biggest army he could get. Like saying, I better have a big army. No, God says, you don't need a big army. And then he multiplied all the gold. And if you remember, he had so many gold that even he had all of his cups were made out of gold. And they said, oh, we don't even like silver because we got so much gold, we don't even need silver. And then he got married and he married Pharaoh's daughter. And then he married somebody else and then somebody else and somebody else. And before you knew it, he had 20 wives and he had 50 wives and he had 100 wives. And then he ended up with 1,000 wives. And they were all alliances. And what God says, you don't need those alliances. You just have to trust me. And then he was supposed to live by the Bible and he didn't. And he turned away from God. And so it's sad. And so this morning, we continue to see what's going on. And this man named Jeroboam, and we'll find that. In fact, if you look, uh, Solomon's wife had turned, had turned his heart away. If you go back to verse 9 of chapter 11, it says, Now, Solomon, now God, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. We already found out that earlier in the passage, it says his wives turned his heart away. They worship false gods. We're going to read who those gods were in just a minute. They worship false gods, and eventually Solomon said, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, I got a god, there's gods. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And so he began to even worship their gods. God made a promise to them, and he said to Solomon, I will tear the kingdom from you. I will take the kingdom from you. And it is sad because he says that I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Verses 11, 12, and 13, he says, because you've done this, Solomon, I will tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. We're going to see who that is this morning. He's going to do that. And, and, and we're going to see that God shows grace to Solomon. He says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And if you were Solomon, you'd go, what? I want to be king. I like being king. It's a lot more fun being king than not being king, Right? And so God said, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, but I'm going to show you grace, and it's for your father David. I'm going to let you live, and when you die, then your son, I will take the kingdom away from him. And so that's what's going to happen. And let me just say this. Everything the Bible says is always true. And if the Bible says God's going to take the kingdom away from Solomon, that's going to happen in his son's life, that's exactly what's going to happen, and we'll see it. And so what we see is that God raised up three adversaries against Solomon. One was by the name of Hadad, one was named Rezan, and then the one we're going to look at this morning is a guy named Jeroboam who rebelled against the king. Now, <clears throat> these adversaries, that if you realize that God raised them up to, be, to, to actually cause problems for Solomon. Solomon, if you remember, David was a warrior, that's Solomon's father. And David defeated all of the armies and all of the enemies around him so that when Solomon became king, Solomon had what his name stood for. Solomon's name comes from Shalom, which has the idea of peace. And so when Solomon became king, it was peace all around him. Toward the end of his life, 
when he rebelled against God, God raised up adversaries. He did not have peace in the last part of his life because of Hadad risen and the guy by the name of Jeroboam. And we're going to see that because God is going to judge the nation. So let's look at uh, verse, uh, let's go back to verse, verse 26 and, and see what we see there. It says, Then Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the Ephraimite of Zeredah, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Now, we find this man was a servant. Let me give you a little bit more information. Look at verse 27. Now, this was the reason why he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of his father David. Now, let me just tell you something. Jerusalem is built on Mount Zion, and on the southern part of it was a place called the city of David. Even though Bethlehem is called the city of David, this was called the city of David because this is where David had his palace. There was a little part that people could climb up if they wanted to, so they built what they called a milo, which was a wall that stopped people from coming up. So Solomon helped build that, and it says that he was building the, the, the milo. And verse 28 says, Now there was this man, Jeroboam, was a valiant warrior. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So Solomon looked out and he found this guy by the name of Jeroboam, who was a hard worker and a leader. And Solomon says, I need your help. I, I can use you in my, in my thing. So I'm going to put you in charge of all of this area. And that's what he did. Now, this is the first time we actually see who this guy is. Now, back in verse 26 says, he rebelled against the king. What happened? What is going to happen? Uh, this is, if you remember back, uh, Solomon saw him, wanted to be a great leader. And back in 1111, 1 Kings 1111, he says, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. This man is the servant. This is the one that God said is going to do it. And we're going to see what happens. So look at verse 29. How does all this happen? It came about, verse 29, it came about at that time that when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shalonite, not Shalonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Now here's what happened. Uh, Jeroboam decides to go outside of the city, and he's walking down a road, and suddenly a prophet by the name of Ahijah shows up. And this prophet has a brand, brand new cloak. A cloak was like a cape, and he, you know, you tie it, and it, it comes behind you. He's got a brand new cloak on. And he comes, and he meets Jeroboam, and they, he basically says something like, let's, let's go out in the field and talk. And so they go out into a field. And it says in verse 30, Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and tore it into twelve Pieces. Now, Ahijah had this, he found Jeroboam, and he had this new cloak, and he, he, he tore it into 12 pieces. Now, you can imagine, this is a new cloak, and he takes it off, and I don't, we're not sure how he did it, but he began to tear it up, and he had ended up with 12 pieces. Now, you know the nation of Israel has how many tribes? 12 tribes, it was always talking about the tribe of Levi was a little bit different set in there. And so there, he's going to tear this into 12 pieces. You can almost see... Jeroboam go, you're tearing up a brand new cloak. I mean, what are you doing? Why are you tearing up a brand new cloak? Well, look what happens. He tears it up. He tears it and puts it into 12 pieces. In verse 31, he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord. Now, if notice that's capital L-O-R-D, all capitals. That's the personal name of God. He says, for thus says the personal God, the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom 
out of the hand of Solomon and give you 10 tribes. So he says these 12 pieces represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and he's going to give Jeroboam, this guy that's just a worker, he's going to get 10 tribes of Israel. And you could say this, what did, uh, what did this guy do that he's going to get to be the king of 10 tribes? Nothing. God just picked him. See, election is for service, not for salvation. He picks him to serve. Best we can tell, this man may not, never be a believer. In fact, as we look at his life a little bit later on, he, he does not appear by the things that he does and the things that he says that he might be a believer. We can't really tell, but he may not be. But God chooses him and picks him. And so in verse 31, he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, but thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I will tear the kingdom out of the hands of Solomon, and I'll give you the ten tribes. Wow. You can see this is amazing. Now, this is out in a field. And so look what he goes on to say, because he, he tells uh, why, why, why all this is happening. He says this, but, you, but he... Solomon will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for all the tribes of Israel. Now, he says, yeah, you get 10 pieces. God's going to tear the kingdom from Solomon and, and going to give you the 10 pieces. That's what's going to happen there. Take for yourself. Uh, but if you noticed, it said, I will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David. Now, here's, here's the thing. There are 10 and there are two pieces left. He says there'll be one tribe to David. There's two ways to look at it. One is that Judah and Benjamin, most of the time, were considered, they came together always as one, even though they were two different tribes. You're going to see that the southern kingdom was called Judah, not Judah and Benjamin. And then there's another view, that a uh, really a good view, that Kevin uh, Flanagan and I talked about. He talked about this. What if, uh, when he says, one, I'm giving you one tribe, he may say, you already got Judah, but I'm going to give you Benjamin, and everybody else gets the ten. So there's two different views that you could look at there, and it's, it's pretty powerful. And so uh, what, what's happened? So he says, that I'm going to give one tribe for the sake of my servant David. Now, he didn't say for the sake of Solomon. He says, Solomon's turned away from me, but I'm going to let them have this one tribe, or we'd say Judah and Benjamin, for the sake of David. Now, do you remember that God made a promise to David? And the promise was that you will always, that, that the Messiah is coming through you, and there will always be a king coming through, not necessarily sitting on the throne, but there will always be a king on the throne for you. And so that's what he's really saying. And so... Um, he said, there'll be one tribe, often the tribes of Judah and Benjamin were put together, or he's saying, you've got Judah already, but I'll give you the tribe of Benjamin to go with it. Who knows exactly how this fits together? And then he tells why he's doing it. Look at verse 33. Because they have forsaken me. We could stop right there. Why did God take the kingdom away from Solomon? Now think about this. First king was Saul. Second king, David. And David had a promise from God that the Messiah will be a king through his lineage. So the third king is Solomon. You'd say, well, the fourth king is going to be a guy by the name of Rehoboam. And then the next king, and the next king, and the next king, until Jesus comes. That's what you thought. But he says, no, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to work like that. But instead of being one nation, I'm going to divide them into two nations. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. And I'm taking this away because Solomon failed to follow me and to live for me. But I'm not going to do it while Solomon is alive. It's the grace of God. I'm going to do it after he dies. 
And so in verse 33, he says, they have forsaken me. Look again, because they have forsaken me and they've worshiped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcon, the god of Ammon. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. He said he didn't do what David did. By the way, the, the god, the, the, the first god mentioned is Ashtaroth. That's a female, that's a goddess. That's a female god. Sometimes she's called Ashtar. Then there's another god called Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. You would hate him. Chemosh had a statue, and they had their hands out like this, and they had a fire right there, and they would take their babies and throw their babies in that fire. They worshipped Chemosh by sacrificing their children. And he said, and, and Solomon and Solomon's wives worshipped these gods instead of the true God of Israel? We've got to be real careful what we put in front of our relationship and our fellowship with God. So what's going to happen? Let me just remind you of something. After Solomon, the land was divided. Ten tribes went to the north, called the northern kingdom. Two tribes stayed in the south, called the southern kingdom. And here's a map. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And the capital was at Jerusalem. And this was the southern kingdom, and that's really David, so to speak. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The capital was at Samaria. And so after this, they divided right there the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And the northern kingdom, Israel, the capital was at Samaria, 10 tribes. The king there was called Jeroboam, this man we meet right here. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The capital was at Jerusalem. There were two tribes, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was the king. The northern kingdom had no good kings. Best we can tell, there was never a believing king in Israel. They had no good kings, and in 722 B.C., they fell to the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom had a few good kings, like Hezekiah and Josiah, and those guys, and they were, but they had a lot of bad kings, and they fell to the Babylonians in 605 B.C. You remember what God said? If you obey me, you get to live in the land. If you don't obey me, I will take you out of the land. And the Assyrians took out the northern empire out of the land, and the Babylonians took the southern empire out of the land. Seventy years later, God let them go back under the Medo-Persian empire. And, and by the way, where's their kings? There aren't any. There's, there's the flow, and it's eventually going to be, and, and it eventually was Jesus Christ, who was the greater son of David, but after the captivity, they were under the Medo-Persians, the Greco-Macedonians, the Romans. I mean, it, it, so that's how it fit. The grace of God to David and to Solomon. Solomon will rule all the days of his life, and he will not see the division. Think about that. The promise, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, was that David would have a descendant all the way through until the Messiah would come, and that's Jesus Christ. You understand, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to King David that he would have a son who would sit on the throne forever. Jesus is the son that sits on the throne of Israel forever. We're going to look at Psalm 89 in just a few minutes. I want to show it to you real briefly. We'll look at it real quickly. Now, I want you to know this. Joab, uh, Jeroboam understood that he would rule over the ten tribes of the nation. However... There would always be a lamp before David. The Davidic kingdom would always last. 
Look again at uh, verse 36. He says, but to my son, I will give one of the tribes. I will give one tribe to my son, David. Uh, I will take the kingdom from his son's hand, give it to the ten tribes. But my son, I'll keep the one for David. Verse 37, I will take you. Now, this is what is so amazing. What about this guy, Jeroboam? Let's think about it. Best we can tell, he may never be a believer. May, never. He gets to be king over 10 tribes of Israel. He gets to be the king over what we call Israel. The southern one's called Judah. What about this guy? What does God say to him? Um, I'm going to let you rule for a few years and then that's it. That's not what God says. Look what God says. Verse 37. I will take you and you shall reign over whatever you desire and you will be king over Israel. And it will be that if you listen to all my command, all that I command you, and you walk in my ways, and you do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes, my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built David, and I will give Israel to you. He says, if you obey me, guess what? There'll be great things for you. Abijah, if you obey me, God will build you an enduring house. Can God take anyone and use them for his glory? What's the answer? Yes. He says this, obedience always brings blessing. Disobedience always brings discipline. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. If you sow with the flesh, corruption. If you sow with the, the spirit, life. Wow. Now look at verse 39. Thus I will afflict the descendants of David. That's our King David we love. For this, but not always. In other words, the promise to David is always going to happen. It's always going to come true. The promise to David will stand. There may be discipline, but there's the promise. Let me remind you of something. What was the promise to David? David, when he was alive and doing great, said, I think I'm going to build a temple for God. And then God sent word to him and said, no, 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 you're not going to build the temple. Your son Solomon, a man of peace, will build the temple. But I'm going to give you a kingdom. Through you, David, the Messiah will come. The Savior of the world will come through you, David. No matter what happens, the Messiah will come through you. The promise to David will come. Now, I want you to look at Psalm 89. I just got it right here. Don't turn in your Bibles. I've just got some certain parts of Psalm 89. You may have never looked through this, but I want you to see what it says. This is God speaking. I made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to who? David, my servant. So his chosen is David. God says, I made a covenant with David. I will establish your seed, David. How long? Forever. Who is David's seed that lasts forever? Jesus Christ. I will build up your throne to all generations. Now, this is while David's alive. Watch. So, I will establish his descendants forever and his thrones of the day of heaven. If his sons forsake my law, and they did, and do not walk in my judgments, and they did, if they violate my statutes, and they did, and do not keep my commandments, and they didn't, they didn't keep them, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquities with stripes. He did punish them. He took them out of the land. But look at this. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, from David, nor deal falsely with my faithfulness. And then watch this. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. 
His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as the son before me. What was the promise to David? He'll have a greater son that will sit on the throne of Israel. That son is Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to Solomon, you're fixing to lose it all, but not forever because David David was promised that his lineage would last and the Messiah would come. The discipline will not last. Well, what's going to happen? So Ahijah and Jeroboam are out in a field, and he says, take these 10 pieces. You're going to have 10 tribes of Israel. You're going to be the king. And if you do good, God will protect you. And if you do bad, you know what's going to happen. Obviously, somebody came back. Somebody talked because Solomon found out about what was going on. So look at the next verse. So Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So he left. He left the country, went to Egypt, stayed there, and still Solomon died. Then when Solomon dies, he says, Solomon's dead. I'm going to get to go back. I'm going to get to do it. And let me, let me stop just for a second and tell you what happened. What happened? How did the division come? Listen to this. Since we won't get to study it because we're going to stop and we're going to do the book of Revelation. Watch this. When Rehoboam, Solomon died, Rehoboam became king. And he said, I am now the king. And Jeroboam and other people came to him and said, if you will treat us right, we will come under your kingdom. And Jeroboam said, and Rehoboam said, hmm, let me go talk to somebody. Just, just wait a minute. He goes and talks to his wise men. And he says, what should I do with Jeroboam and all these people who say, if I'm nice to them, they will serve under us? And the wise men said, tell them you're going to love them, you're going to take care of them, you're going to be good. He said, mm, okay, sounds pretty good. But let me, let, me go, let me go, these were the older men. Let me go talk to some of the younger men. Hey, what should I do with those guys that have come back and they said, if I treat them right, they will serve me. And the young men said, treat them right. You tell them that you're going to be like a scorpion. You're going to come after them and you're going to tear them to pieces. Okay. So he said, I think I'm going to listen to these guys. And he goes back and he says to Jeroboam, uh, I'm going to be like a scorpion. I will tear you to pieces if you don't act right. And Jeroboam said, we quit. We start our own kingdom. And that's how the division happened. And that's why there's an Israel and a Judah, and then they fell. What happened to Solomon? Well, verse 41, now the rest of the acts of Solomon, and whatever he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? By the way, does anybody in here have the book of the acts of Solomon? I haven't been able to find it. Have y'all found it? Some people actually think it may be First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings, or it may even be First and Second Chronicles. We don't know. But they just said that all these things that Solomon did are written in a book, and it may be First Kings or First and Second Chronicles. We don't know. At that time, Solomon reigned in Israel thus for over 40 years. Isn't it amazing? 
that Saul reigned for 40 years, David reigned for 40 years, and Solomon reigned for 40 years. Solomon slept with his fathers, was buried in the city of his father David, and his son, here he comes, Rehoboam, reigned in his place. I think if you could give Rehoboam a little advice, why don't you listen to people older than you? They might have a little more wisdom than you do at that point of time in their life because he didn't listen to them and the division of the nation. Well, we've studied First and Second Samuel and part of First Kings, and we've seen the first three kings of Israel. And so what I want to do is just real briefly, with the time we have left for a second, let's talk about him. Let's talk about, uh, by the way, Solomon wanted to kill Jeroboam and Solomon ruled for 40 years. Oh, I wanted to bring this up. I forgot to tell you. Did Solomon ever come back to God? Well, look at this. This is Ecclesiastes. He wrote this at the very, we think, at the end of his life. What does he say? The conclusion, this is him writing, when all has been heard is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. And he says it's to every person, not just a, not a king or a king. And so hopefully, toward the very end of his life, maybe he turned back and said, oh, Lord, I've blown it all to pieces. But it's, you know, and he died. In a sense, all it says here is he died and his son reigned. I'm hoping that he did turn back. This has nothing to do with salvation. You remember his salvation is by faith alone. This is his service and his actions. And so he writes at the end and he says, you know, the best thing to do is just obey God and live for him and serve him. That's really the best thing. So let's talk about the three kings. Saul, uh, he was the first king. He was a man of flesh. He lived for self. He was tall. He was handsome. He was everything you could name. And he was very gifted. And yet when a 14, 15-year-old boy got some glory, he got jealous. His whole life changed. He became paranoid and he became jealous and he tried to kill David and he never turned back to God. And so he lived for himself. And what can we learn? We must seek to live for God, not ourselves. We must do. He started good, ended bad. We want to start good, end bad. I mean, in, in good. So uh, we see that he, he's, his, we want to live for God, not ourselves. The second man is David, a man after God's own heart, and he lived for God. And you think about it. He started good. He had some bad stuff, but he never turned away from God, and he finished good. And so we, we want to learn to be men and women who have a heart for God, dealing with sin in our life and living for God. And then finally, Solomon, wisdom, started well, finished poorly, did not obey God. We, wanna, we realize dis, disobedience brings discipline. We want to start well and finish well. And so when you look at those three kings, we do want to be a Saul who starts well and just all jealous, all about self, and you didn't, didn't do well. We don't want to be like Solomon who started well and just, best we can tell, ended poorly. We want to be like David Men and women after God's own heart, even though David started well and had some bad stuff, every one of us in this room, we can do bad stuff. But what we want to do is never turn away from God, keep growing, confess our sins, keep going, be like, be like David. Let me give you some quick applications and we'll close. Let's realize that God is sovereign. He's working all the events of our lives. He tore the kingdom and gave it to Jeroboam. And you could say, Jeroboam was not a great guy. Uh, let me just say one thing. You know when Jeroboam became king in the north, you know what he did? The first thing he did, he built a temple up there and brought in, a golden, brought in golden calves and had the people worship golden calves. He never was a... I mean, he didn't do good. At the very beginning, he didn't do good. 
But God tore the kingdom from Solomon and gave it to Jeroboam. We must trust God even in things that don't look exactly right. Because God works all things together for good, even the things we don't always grasp and understand. The second one is let's live by the word of God. We have to. That's the scripture. Obedience brings, dis- uh, brings uh, blessing, but disobedience always brings discipline. And so when we sin, be like David, confess our sin, and go on with our lives to live for Jesus Christ. We know that God's word is perfect and true. That's, what we, that's why every promise. What was the promise? I'm going to take the kingdom away from Solomon. I'm going to give you 10. They get two, and that's exactly what what happened? Everything God says is always right. Let me just say this. What did he promise you about eternal life? He said, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, what do you get? Eternal life. Went right then. And the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, you have believed in Christ for eternal life. And you should never, if you have believed in Christ and he's given you eternal life, you should Never doubt your salvation. You should understand that God's promise to you is, I give you eternal life and you will never perish. So the moment you believe, John 5, 24, the moment you believe, you have eternal life. So every one of us in this room, you should say, I know I'm saved because I believed in Jesus Christ. I've trusted in him. He has given me eternal life and I am saved and I am saved forever. So remember that. God's word is perfect and true. Number three, let's understand that we have to keep on growing. Solomon didn't run the race. Solomon didn't do it. The Bible talks about running the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. We are called children of God. Let's live out who we are. Let's run the race. It is an endurance race. Let's live for Jesus Christ.